regulation has a big role in that, um, but but there's also a certain amount of collaboration from the policy to the regulation to to the utility and the customer. The customer is a much bigger part of this now. Us regulatory people, um, I think that's where we need to put a lot of focus and a lot of effort is to really understand the customer. After all, regulation really is a proxy for um, the customer. Welcome to the Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada. This is episode 077, number 77 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded live at Electricity Canada's 2023 regulatory workshop held in May in Toronto, immediately following the annual CANPUT conference. That's the Association of Canadian Energy Regulators. My guest today is Craig Sabine of EY, who joined me for a fireside chat over lunch to launch the regulatory workshop. Craig is the Executive Director of Energy Transition at EY Canada. In our discussion, we talk transition to a net-zero future and the importance of electrification, challenges of current supply chain delays and how they might play out as electrification ramps up, and the role that regulation will play in the energy transition. We also touch on the pace of change and concerns about affordability. Here is my fireside chat with Craig Sabine. Welcome, Craig. Thank you. Thank Um, you. It's good to be here. So uh, we build this as the fireside chat. Um, It's also... uh, uh, um, an opportunity for me to get some more content for uh, the Flux Capacitor podcast. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so uh, anybody, anybody who uh, who has to run out partway through to, to take a call, uh, you can you can catch up uh, on this, and we'll we'll chat about it in the podcast. But really welcome the opportunity to, to have a, a chat with you. Then then let's 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 drill down actually into some of the specifics here. We we will be touching on and we have a number of speakers who who were actually also speakers at the conference, so you'll get a you'll get a bit of a taste um, for it. But the there really was a, a very clear and specific focus uh, on regulation in a in a world evolving towards net zero. Um, so I'd be interested to kind of get your perspectives on that as well uh, in terms of what what kind of changes should we be thinking of and expecting uh, from um, a regulatory perspective as we we head towards net zero? What kind of mechanisms do you think we should be looking at putting into place? Those sorts of things. Yeah, well, certainly there's going to be a lot of change. Um, I think that's one thing that is clear now and, and you know, we've all started to accept um, some kicking and screaming, but but certainly a, a growing level of acceptance is is crystallizing in the market. Um, you know, net zero is a tremendous tremendous challenge, but it's also a really really great opportunity for for our industry. Um, thinking about it from the perspective of of power and utilities and 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 how we regulate that industry, it's it's just it's an amazing you know once in a lifetime opportunity for. Um, for the sector and, and for the people that, that make the sector work every day. Um, the changes that we're going to require are going to have to um, to really focus on clarity of purpose, um, really understanding 
regionally, um, understanding the regional differences, and therefore, um, you know, what are the assets and um, the technologies that will be needed to achieve a net zero goal um, from region to region across the country, and then start to build in regulatory mechanisms that are flexible, mm -hmm. um, fast moving, and adaptable to be able to um, achieve those goals in um, a global environment where you're really competing for um, resources, for labor, for capital, for materials, for equipment, for all of those things that if we don't do this in a, in a fairly streamlined and, um, and flexible and agile way, it's going to be real difficult to get to that end goal. Yeah. Maybe just a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a tangent, because you mentioned um, competing for resources, competing for, uh, for equipment. Um, supply chain has come up in, in, in some of the conversations here, and, and quite a few conversations I've been having uh, with members as well. Um, as, as we, you know, post-pandemic, uh, there's lots of, there's a, there's a lot of supply chain crunches for absolutely everything, everything from, you know, from rebar to bucket trucks to transformers uh, to, to towers. Um, any perspectives on, on what the future of that looks like, given that we're probably heading into an even more competitive environment in this space? Um. So, so one thing is we are seeing uh, obviously a tremendous amount of supply chain disruption right now. Um, this is resulting from geopolitical unrest, particularly the war in Ukraine, followed from COVID experience that we've all endured, um, and, and commodity prices which are accelerate or in increasing. Um, one thing that we're seeing is that these supply chain disruptions, and I just threw up a, a chart here um, behind us, so you have a little bit of data to look at as well and not just have to listen to me, but those, the number of disruptions in supply chains globally um, are increasing in amplitude and increasing in frequency in the last decade. And we would see that as potentially continuing to happen. And you can see in the data on the left um, how frequent that's really becoming of late. The current one that we're in, we believe that there will be an upward pressure on, and this is you know, looking at sort of renewables as your benchmark technology, um, solar and solar PV and, and wind. And you have about two or three year period where those supply chains will be disrupted and, and put upward pr pressure on prices um, for those types of assets. But then we see it coming back down by 2025, 2026. So preparing for that and, and, and getting ourselves into a place from a regulatory standpoint and a project planning standpoint in projects across the country to be able to take advantage of, um, of supply chains that calm back down by 2025 and 26 will be something to think about. The other way that, that um, the other thing that, that, that I've been thinking about is that the, the overall and sort of general level of disruption in global supply chains may actually be not, um, not necessarily a bad thing for, for, for Canada, for the Canadian industry. It, it gives us a bit of a wedge to start to compete. It, it's an area that affects all other countries who are trying to achieve the same goal. Um, as I'm sure I don't have to tell you, that the United States is, is going very aggressive on renewables and very aggressive on um, a net zero grid as well. Um, that economy obviously attracts and, and sort of consumes a lot of the resources that are out there um, and a lot of the supply chain capacity um, on the planet. So 
they're facing those problems as well and having to come up with innovative and, and interesting and creative ways to address them. Um, that's an opportunity for us to do the same thing. If we can be better than them at solving some of those problems, better than them at accessing some of those um, um, resources that are required, that gives us a wedge um, that we may not have otherwise had had those problems not existed in the first place. Mm -hmm. Can we, though? How, how, do, how do we go about being better than them at, at doing those sorts of things? Well, very good planning um, in supply chains. I think back to the idea of our uh, regulatory processes, permitting processes, project planning processes being um, very efficient, being very agile, being nimble and quick is going to be um, something that's required so that when, <coughs> when you can access those, those resources and access that supply chain to get a project done, that you're, you're, you're ready to consume. Um, you're ready to consume, you're ready to build, you're ready to get the shovel in the ground and, and get the projects going. Because if you're not and, and there's hesitation, um, you know, the opportunity may pass and, and the supply chain moves on to the next. And those, I think, are the situations that, that we really want to be trying to avoid as much as we possibly can um, as an industry across Canada. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think you, you heard earlier that we're going to be releasing, well, we are releasing a couple of reports today. One of them is uh, talking about uh, the principles of bond right. Um, wondering about your view on that, uh, whether or not a sort of a, a reform definition of capital efficiency um, um, uh, is something that, that we should be looking at. Um, and you know, sort of how we should be thinking in, in, terms of, in terms of capital efficiency with respect to bond right. Yeah, for certain. I mean, I, I don't, I did read, so unlike not attending the conference, I did read the papers, <laughs> so <laughs> that's a good thing for the conversation. Um, I, 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 I must say, I, I, don't, um, I don't disagree with the premise that uh, Bonbright is still the right foundation. Um, at the end of the day, the principles of Bonbright are the right types of principles. They're the right things to do for the customer. Um, Bombright would have called it the ratepayer. We now call it the customer. Um, I think rooting what we're doing in regulation in those principles can't be a bad thing. Um, redefining um, what efficiency is. Um, you mentioned capital efficiency. Mm -hmm. I think there's other um, there's other criteria that that define efficiency is likely something that we do need to look at. Um, you know, Bombright's principles are predicated on the idea of um, efficiency from scale and operational efficiency of scale of demand. Um, those two things may no longer hold true because we no longer have a, a steady state inclining demand profile in most markets today. And also bigger um, supply projects, um, central plant, isn't necessarily the most efficient way. So utilities have to be really good at um, aggregating and managing perhaps many small things to create efficiencies rather than building gigantic central plant type things um, to harness efficiency. And I think that change in, in operating um, mode and, and sort of change in, in, in the market is, is really going to be a driver of um, of what sets, um, you know, a successful path towards net zero from, from an unsuccessful one. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, and, and the other um, report that we're, we're going to be releasing is about getting things built and, and building things faster. 
So uh, again, on that one, I'd be interested to, to kind of get a sense of, of, of how you see uh, the, the current challenges with respect to, well, particularly, a couple of us were chatting about this um, um, before, before lunch, the, the challenge in a Canadian context particularly sort of the federal, provincial, territorial dynamics are, are always challenging. Um, the jurisdictional uh, challenges that we face um, and, and the timelines uh, that we have with respect to getting projects built. Um, how can we actually get through this and get stuff built? Well, that's a great question. Um, are we ready yet for that national energy plan that we've talked about for the last 30, 40, 50, 60 years? Mm. I don't know, maybe we are, maybe we need it now. Um, we, we certainly need a, a very strong sense of clarity on what we're trying to achieve as a starting point. Um, I think regulators, and I know there are many of you in the room um, who are looking for that uh, clear policy direction and clear signal in, in, in what the purpose is between now and 2035, which is actually quite scary when you think about it. Um, how do, we, how do we achieve that, that clarity of purpose and a collective understanding and acceptance of what the, the, what the exam question really is? Um, it feels like that is becoming a lot more clear today. Um, the premise of net zero um, has a lot of crystallization, I think, behind it. Um, there is less and less combativeness towards the idea. Um, I think it's more about the pace. It's more about um, the when. Um, do we do we target it? But you know, are we up for a challenge? Right, as an industry, are we up for this challenge? Are we up for a stretch target? Twenty thirty five is certainly um, uh, a very transformative um, pace to be going at. Yeah. Um, such an immense change in in how we produce and and move electricity around. Um, but I think it's a worthwhile goal to have, and if we can all get behind that. Then we can start to think about, you know, the plan, do the really, you know, do appropriate planning early, um, get behind that plan, and, and then start to think about things from a regional perspective in the context of that plan and how best you're going to achieve the objectives um, of the plan on a regional basis. Uh, I, I, I think, you know, regulation has a big role in that. Um, but but there's also a certain amount of collaboration from the policy to the regulation to to the utility and the customer. The customer is a much bigger part of this now, mm -hmm. and I think that's actually a place where um, where you know regulatory um, as a concept, us regulatory people, um, I think that's where we need to put a lot of focus and a lot of effort is to really understand the customer. After all, um, regulation really is a proxy for um, the customer. Um, as well, it's it's a proxy for the customer's need, um, and and the principles upon which we deliver service to that customer. Um, really understanding the customer and and how they want um, to achieve that goal of net zero is going to be super super important. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of options and and a lot of flexibility out there to be able to do it. So how how optimistic would you uh, would you say you are with optimistic? Yeah, well, you know, with respect to the, a, the net zero target, as you said, it's it's certainly a stretch, it's a challenge. Um, but yeah, how optimistic are you that we're we're going to be able to hit those targets, or, or at least or at least uh, come close to those targets? 
Well, those that know me best out there in the audience probably um, think of uh, me and optimism as, as a bit of a misnomer, but <laughs> I'm actually quite, quite optimistic on this one. Um, I, 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 I just, the, the, what we're seeing in the markets is truly unprecedented, right? I mean, we, we talk a lot about how we're dragging our feet and how things are too slow and the lethargic regulatory and approvals process and all those things, and all those things are true. But also what is true is the immense pace of change and investment that is going on in the electricity sector. Mm -hmm. and, and that's been going on for, for quite some time now, as we've talked about many a times yep. over the last 10 years, Francis, right? Um, and, and that's continuing, right? And it's, it's accelerating. In the United States today, there are over 10,000 unique supply projects in connection queues across the United States, 10,000, mm. okay? Now, many of those will never see the light of day, but that's an awful lot of projects and project ideas and innovation happening. Um, that's encouraging. That creates optimism for me. Um, there were, I believe, when last I looked, 56 gigawatts of renewables um, in that queue looking for uh, commercial service, in-service date by 2026. Um, 2026. 2026. Oh, okay. So, you know, 50 gigawatts, give or take, in the next three years. Mm -hmm. That is huge. Now, again, whether or not all of that becomes reality is is probably a, a big stretch goal, but it's happening out there, right? And we need to get on onto that. We need to get on board with that. If those 10,000 projects. Um, overshadow what we're trying to do in Canada mm -hmm. kind of goes back to the the idea that we talked about earlier on um, access to supply chains right mm -hmm. access to the resources access to the materials if we don't put a signal out there if we don't put that lighthouse beacon out there in the market in the global marketplace that we're ready to go in that type of scale at that type of amplitude um, you know our market could be ignored as well mm -hmm. and that's not what we want so there's a lot of optimism because there's so much activity and, and I think there's so much interest in, in trying to make this happen, I think, and, and, and that's why I'm pretty optimistic about it. Technologies are there, right? The technologies are there um, and there's still more innovative technologies that have yet to be fully um, figured out and commercialized. And, you know, we can, we can continue to work on those but using the technologies that we already have that are commercially ready to go, um, that are competitive in terms of pricing, um, we can get a lot of the way there mm -hmm. in a pretty quick uh, a period of time if we put the work in to do it from the regulatory standpoint and from the physical, you know, making d d project development standpoint um, as working on the innovation for, you know, the post-2035 period, which will obviously also be a huge challenge um, to, to decarbonize the rest of the economy. Mm -hmm. Um, which is also a really cool and optimistic um, objective for, for, for us, for, for this sector, right? In, in this country, in, in many countries, but certainly in Canada, where we, we really get to be the leader of, of um, providing the platform to decarbonize the economy. And if, if we're really serious about, you know, net zero economy by 2050, this sector is going to have to be, you know, the knight in shining armor, the vanguard of that. Mm -hmm. And that's an exciting position to be in, um, kind of akin back to, you know, 150 years ago when we were the, the vanguard of, of um, the industrial, the last industrial revolution. Right, right. So you mentioned the customer. Um, so when thinking in terms of uh, the perspective of the customer, you're optimistic that 
that the, the, these are targets that you know we're, we're, we potentially could could be able to hit and be able to reach. What about affordability? Where does where does affordability fit into this? Um, and like, what are the sorts of things that we we should be thinking about doing as uh, um, you know industry representatives, uh, policymakers, uh, regulators? Uh, um, uh, politicians, um, civil society, what are the sorts of things that, that we should be uh, addressing to ensure that that future is, is one that is affordable for the end customer? Well, it's essential. I mean, obviously, affordability is one of the, the three um, legs of the stool. It looks like there's an amber is alert. Is it an amber alert? Is that right? Oh, a test. Oh, it's a test. It's not an alert. <clears throat> Uh, I think this is an annual annual occurrence. I believe last year, I believe last year during our regulatory forum following Camput, we had a test of the, but it was an earthquake uh, alert test because we were in Vancouver. All right, back to affordability. Yes, hopefully it was an affordable <laughs> test. Uh, didn't waste too many resources on us here, but um, yeah, I mean it's, it's it's essential, right? I mean we 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 we. we at EY, we look at the energy transition from the perspective of um, the energy trilemma, and, and um, sustainability is a huge one. So we, we've talked about that. We've talked about net zero. Reliability is, is obviously a huge one and, and always will be in our industry. Affordability is the third leg of the stool. So, I mean, this has to be affordable, of course. Um, we, we see in the market that um, when you speak with customers, um, there is concern about that affordability. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that's a secret. Um, but that, that goes back to how we do it, to how we do it. How efficient can we be aggregating these projects, aggregating this, this change and managing this change, planning for it, managing it, um, and, and creating affordability through efficiency of delivery. Um, that's going to be... Um, we, we know that the technologies themselves can be affordable relative to conventional technologies, mm -hmm. right? Um, prices for renewables, broadly speaking, um, obviously there's still challenges in terms of integrating them to grid and firming them and all those things. And we will figure that out. But on a kilowatt hour to kilowatt hour basis, these are affordable technologies to produce the energy that we need. Um, so it's about delivering them efficiently and effectively um, in a way that creates affordability for customers. Um, that said, um, we also know, and, and I think this is true of, of, of most utilities um, findings when they do their customer surveys, that, that uh, many customers are willing to pay a little bit more mm. for a more value-added product, right? And that more value-added product um, is your net zero product. Um, we, we don't see electricity the same way today as we did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and so on, um, there's an incremental value proposition with electricity, and, and that is that it is also environmentally responsible. Mm -hmm. So I think there's somewhat of an understanding that, um, that you have to pay for that, right? But at the same time, um, I, look at, I look at this little equation um, when I think about affordability in, in energy. So... You think about, and, and I know there's lots of engineers here, I'm sure, so um, I'm sure that there's something wrong with this, but I, I'm thinking broadly it's, it's within the realm of reality, so bear with me. So the average um, household in Canada today uses, give or take, 850 kilowatt hours a month, right? And they pay, you know, even a high rate, let's say, is 20 cents retail rate. So you look at how much they pay for electricity in a year, give or take, it's four or $5,000, 
right? Now, on the other side, they also use um, a lot of energy in mm -hmm. their transportation. Um, they use a lot of energy for mobility. That's the other side of, of you know, where a household uses a lot of energy. Um, they use um, to, 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 to drive about 20 or 25,000 kilometers a year, which is sort of an annual average. They spend another four or $5,000 to do that. And the rates at which they do that, yeah. right, the rates at which they do that are much, much higher than the rates that they, mm -hmm. they spend on the other half, the, the core of, of, of their, their operating their household and their lives, right? Their light, their heat, their entertainment, and their so on. So today, they're willing to pay a lot more for the fossil fuel product to drive, um, to drive and, and to, to provide mobility. As we start to transition to, to EVs, um, they'll actually pay a lot less, mm -hmm. right? If rates remain at 20 cents, even a high-end rate in, in, in Canadian terms, right? They end up paying a lot less for mobility. But, but should they, right? So are they willing to pay a little bit more for the overall picture per kilowatt hour if they're getting a lot more value out of it, mm. right? Because they're perceiving today that they're getting more value for their mobility energy um, because they perceive that as a more... Um, a more value-added product in their lives, perhaps. I don't know. But this is a question I have because it, it's, 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 it's interesting how rates will, will adjust once and, and, and change once we have more and more of um, the, the services that they require as opposed to just the energy commodity um, under, the, under the, uh, the good ship electricity, right? Right. And it's going to play out differently in, in different regions, there's, there's already um, varying levels of, of um, electrification, uh, depending upon what region you're in, driven principally by what resources are, are, are uh, available. Um, and so from an affordability standpoint, that, that's also going to enter into, into the, the, the sort of federal, provincial uh, dynamic in the calculus as well. Right. Today, yeah. today, they're basically like a, a typical residential customer today is telling us that they're willing to pay, pay five times more for one kilometer of, of, of mobility um, than they are, sort of, well, let me put it this way. They're willing to pay five times more for one unit of energy to move themselves than they are to pay for um, the, the energy that they use in their, in their homes. So, there's a lot. To, there's a lot. I think okay. that you can play with. Gotcha. I'd say in, in, in terms of terms right? of what they're currently paying. Yeah, it, it's not a conscious decision that they're saying I I have decided to to spend five times more. Um, no. But it is it is the the, the reality of what they they currently. It's the reality of, yeah. of the of the gasoline market. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they accept it. Right. 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 Um, okay. Um, so, can Canada decarbonize the electricity sector? because uh, we talk a little bit about Canada U.S., in the same time frame as the U.S. They, 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 their target for 2035 came out actually before our target, uh, and then, and then we, we adopted that target as well. Um, you know, and, and are there any differences in terms of how we're approaching it from, from a regulatory standpoint? Are they making things easier uh, than we are? Is it the same? Uh, what should we be thinking in terms of, of the pace uh, of decarbonization, uh, um, particularly with respect to how 
challenging it is to actually get things built. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's the, the primary objective that, that we need to have um, as an industry and, and particularly as, as those who work on regulatory mechanisms is to try and make more flexible and streamline and, and faster those, those mechanisms so that we can start to compete on a, on a you know, planning to shovel in ground um, timeframe against other markets, the US. Um, I don't, it will always be difficult to compete them on sheer scale and amplitude. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the nature of the two economies. I think we have to find those, uh, we have to find the wedges that I talked about before within the supply chain um, to be able, the supply chain of all resources required to, to, to get this done. We have to find our wedges, find out how we can be better at certain things um, to be able to do things more efficiently and more effectively. Um, I don't think capital attraction really is is a huge risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, it, it's some risk, but 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 not a huge risk. I think the capital will be there. I mean, we, we've we've seen capital being available for these projects, um, and and it's it's never really not been there. It's more being able to spend it fast enough um, has has been our challenge, right? right. Um, in the U.S., it's kind of a, a, a different challenge on that on that side of things. But I think the capital will be there. So it really just comes down to 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 identifying the projects so that the planning, um, being effective with the planning, getting um, the consensus and the buy-in around you know how we're going to achieve this this net zero goal regionally speaking, and 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 get to work on on developing those projects and and then working the supply chain in a way. Um, that 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 we're good at, um, and that we can actually take an advantage to the to, to the U.S. Um, that said, there may be opportunities mm-hmm. for collaboration, right, right, with the U.S. We are, after all, um, one massive contiguous um, mm-hmm. economy is one way you can look at it, um, and I'm sure there have been over the years plenty of 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 great um, economies of scale and, and opportunities in 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 you know the North American economy buying from global markets um, to increase our effectiveness and efficiency in doing things um, as a partner with the U.S. Uh, so I think that's something to focus on. Um, that's, no, that's, that's, that's good. That's a good place to, to land. Craig, I want to thank you for taking the time. Uh, I know we actually didn't have a fire for the fireside chat, but uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time to join us for the fire, fireside chat. That's, you know, it's a, a long way for us to go to, to, to hit those 2035 targets, um, but I appreciate you taking some time to help us clarify some of, some of the important issues that are gonna help us as we, uh, we head down the road towards that, that, uh, that de- decarbonized yeah. future. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no, my it. pleasure. It's uh, always a pleasure to be here, Francis, and uh, to speak with you in particular. So, um, that's great, and yeah, I mean, it's a huge, huge opportunity for us, everyone, so let's get together, let's make it happen, you know? It's, uh, it's just too great of an opportunity, and, and it, it's, a, it's a goal, I think, that we can all agree is worth achieving. Yeah, terrific, thanks. Thanks for joining me for this episode of The Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes. Please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen. And let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. 
You can find me on Twitter as at Brad Bradley. The website is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 77. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca. Electricity.ca.